Amen, amen. It's good to share God's Word with you this morning. If you would, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, we'll pick up where we left off last week. We'll begin in verse uh, 22 and read uh, verse 23. So only two verses uh, this morning. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 1078, 1078, that's where we'll be uh, this morning. When we turn to uh, Galatians chapter 5, we are introduced with an amazing word, the word is freedom. And everything about uh, this particular letter, the letter that was written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit given to the churches in the province of Galatia, is about that. It is about gospel freedom. And so everything from uh, chapters 1 through 4, the the truths of the gospel are all pointing to uh, that freedom that we have in Christ. And everything from uh, Galatians 5 and Galatians chapter 6 is how that freedom begins to work itself out within the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are followers of Christ. And so this idea of freedom is so, so important. But we need to understand that, that freedom, according to the gospel in many ways, is not freedom that you and I uh, understand specifically as uh, people who live in the United States of America. The the freedom that the gospel is talking about isn't freedom to do whatever you want, right? It's freedom to enjoy, enjoy the fellowship that we have with Christ because of that relationship. It's the freedom to experience the the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. Uh, The freedom that we have to to experience the very wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God. And so this freedom isn't about physical freedom. It's very, very much about spiritual freedom that we have in Christ. And the spiritual freedom uh, has a command with a great promise. And we saw that a few weeks ago in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 16. The command being what? That we are to not, uh, that we are to walk by the Spirit and we will not gratify the flesh, right? So the command is to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be submissive to the Spirit, to be in step with the Spirit, to be dependent on Him. And as we are dependent on Him in our lives, guess what? We, the promise is we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so we must live in spiritual dependency. And the reason for that is because uh, there is a spiritual war that is battling in your heart, in your mind, right now as a follower of Christ, Right? Uh, the, the very uh, reality that though victory is ours in Christ, that victory hasn't been fully experienced yet on this earth. Meaning, yes, we have been freed from the power of sin, we've been freed from the penalty of sin, but guess what? The presence of sin still remains, right? And so that impacts us every single day. Every conversation, every relationship, every thought that goes through your mind, every emotion that you feel, how you perceive the world, you better believe as a follower of Christ in this controlled environment that there is warfare that is going on. And we know that the Holy Spirit of God is victorious every time. And so that's why we lean in. That's why we are led by. That's why we walk by. That's why we rest in the Spirit's work in our life. And so the question begins to happen in our life, how is it that I define or determine if I am being led by the Spirit or am I being Uh, led by the desires of my flesh. Well, we talked about those dashboard warning lights that pop up, right? Same thing that's happening in your car right now that you just uh, are ignoring it, putting tape over, or you're actually addressing it, right? 
Uh, and so hopefully two weeks ago when I said that, you're starting to get to that process of diagnosis and solution, right? And that's what God does with us. So how do we know that we are being led not by the Spirit, but the desires of the flesh? Well, the Apostle Paul gave us some of those warning lights in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, where he talks about the works of the flesh are evident. And, and we need to understand two things about this. One, this is the default nature of everybody apart from Christ, right? So these are going to be seen in our world, right? However, if we're not being led by the Spirit, guess what? These are possible for you as well, right? So he's, again, he's talking to the church. He's talking to those who have received the grace of the gospel, right? But when you're not living based on the Spirit's work, what is the evidence of the flesh? He talks about sexual sin, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. He talks about sins related to worship, idolatry, sorcery. He talks about uh, relational sins, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. And he talks about sins of indulgence, drunkenness, and orgies. And just in case you're not on that list, that, that sin that you're dealing with isn't on that list, he says this, and things such, but things like these. And so the warning here, listen to the warning. I warn you as I warned you before. So Paul had given this warning before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here's what we realize. Paul is not saying that, that if you uh, have one of these sins in your life or some of these sins in your life for, for a season or a period of time that, that you don't have a relationship with God. That's not what he's saying. The key is in the do. The word do is talking about habitual practice. If this is the habitual practice of your life, if this is the, the, the works of the flesh that are displayed all throughout your life, then, then there's a probably a, a very good indication that you've never received the gospel in the first place. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is not just about uh, giving us forgiveness of sin in Christ. It's about giving us power in Christ. And so our lives begin to change. And so that is important. Uh, so the question now is, how do we know if we're being led by the Spirit? Is it based on how I feel? No, not all the time, because I, I guarantee there's going to be times in your life that you, you don't feel like you're being led by the Spirit, but the evidence is there, right? So it's not all about our feelings, it's about the evidence. So what is the evidence of being led by the Spirit? Well, that's what we're going to unpack this morning, uh, verses 22 and 23. The scripture says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, uh, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. What an amazing contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Because of this new life in Christ, guess what? We have the fruit of the Spirit. It's a radically different way of life. And why is this true? What does verse 22 say again? But the fruit of the Spirit. But is referring to a contrast. So the works of the flesh are what you and I do. The fruit of the Spirit is what God does in us, right? So that's important. So this is in us, mustering enough strength. It's not us reading a bunch of self-help books and say, we're going to do better at this, right? No, that's the works of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit, by the nature of Christ in you through His Spirit, that's what you have. And I love the word fruit because it's singular. It's not plural. So anytime you hear or say, the fruits of the Spirit, time out, no, it's singular. And why is that important? Well, unlike the spiritual gifts that God gives us by His grace... That, that differ, right? Some of us have specific spiritual gifts. Some of us have other specific spiritual gifts. Some have one, some have many. The fruit of the Spirit is singular for this reason. You either have it all or you don't have any of it. Right? Think about that for just a minute. There is no excuse to say, well, I'm just not that kind. I'm just not that gentle. That's not how I was raised. At the end of the day, are we going to call God a liar? That's what we're... That's the question that we're asking. Are we going to trust 
that God has given me full access to the fruit of the Spirit. Now, they may not be as developed as we want them to be in our own lives, and, and guess what? We can all acknowledge they're not as developed in the other people's lives as well, right? But we need to trust what God says, that the fruit of the Spirit is given to us. Why? Because that is a part of our new identity in Christ. We have new loves, new desires, new affections, new purpose. And so all of this is based on the fruit of the Spirit. Now, think about the beauty of being led by the Spirit and the fruit that He produces in our life. So those are three things that we're going to unpack based on that. Uh, spiritual fruit leads my disposition. Disposition. Now, I don't normally use the word disposition. You can ask my family. Never, they probably have never heard of me say it. But I couldn't think of a better word. Right? Disposition has to deal with uh, the, the anchor of your soul, if you will. Right? Uh, your temperament. Uh, how you walk through situations how you perceive situations, uh, your framework in your mind, uh, your heart posture to uh, things in life. And so disposition is kind of like those anchor parts. And, and Paul mentions three. And, and I truly believe that these three, because they're the spiritual fruit of disposition, they unlock the other six characteristics of uh, the spiritual fruit that we have because of Christ. Listen to what Paul says. He talks about love, joy, and peace. Listen, if, you're, if your life, the core of who you are, is anchored in the love of God, the joy that God gives us, and the peace that God gives us, guess what? The rest of the fruit begins to breathe out of that. So let's talk about these for just a moment. Let's think about love, joy, and peace. The word love, uh, there's four main words in the Greek language for love. Uh, one deals with familial love. One deals with uh, romantic love. Another one talks about brotherly love. Uh, and, but this one is talking about unconditional love, unrelenting love. This is the agape word of love. And that's what happens all throughout Scripture. It's the supreme characteristic of the life of Christ in you, right? The very love of Christ in you. And love is a choice more than an emotion. And, and the, one of the, great, the greatest place that we've seen this is when Jesus Christ chose to give his life for you and I. The sins of the world, right? Love is a choice. Uh, and here's the beauty of it. That the same love that Christ displayed on the cross for your sin and my sin is the same love that he gives you and I. Romans 5.5 5 tells us God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has given us the very love of God in our hearts. And because this is true, we can, we can love others the same way that God has loved us, right? That comes through the fruit of the Spirit. So my disposition in life through His Spirit is biblical love, not just for a select few, for all. For all that reject us, for all that receive us, for all who make life enjoyable, and for all who make life miserable, right? Why? Because what does the Scripture teach us? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Then he talks about joy, deep abiding delight in God. Not because of my circumstances, but because of who he is and what he has promised to me. And it's the spirit-led follower of Christ that has joy, unspeakable joy. You, you've seen it. You felt it. You've experienced, you've seen it in yourself, you've seen it in others when the worst possible circumstances are right before you. And yet God gives through his spirit unspeakable joy. How is that possible? Because it's the joy of Christ in you. Hebrews 12.3 tells us what? For the joy that was set before him, talking about Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne 
of God. The scripture tells us that, that the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? Can you testify to that? That the joy of the Lord is your strength. Therefore, we are instructed to do what? To rejoice in the Lord always, right? Joy is ours when our focus is on him. So let that be the anchor of your life, the joy of Christ. Now we talk about peace. Peace is the confidence and rest we have in the wisdom and power of God, right? Peace is the fact that we have full access to him. That not only do we have peace with God because we have been justified by the work of God's grace in our life, but we have access to the peace of God, right? To be reminded that his will is the greatest place for peace, right? When you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, he says this language. He says, Lord, what, let this cup pass from me, the cup of God's wrath on him. But not my will be done, but your will be done. You see the peace of trusting in the wisdom and the sovereignty of God, even when we can't see it, even when we don't feel it. We just sung the song, Waymaker, right? Very peace that we need in the midst of tremendous circumstances. Why? Because we trust that he is holding us in his hands, right? The mighty hands, the gracious hands of God. He is the one, according to Colossians 1, he is the one that holds all things together, right? And what does the scripture teach us? That the peace of Christ is to rule our hearts, right? And it's his peace that guards our hearts and minds. How many of you need your heart and mind guarded today? Where does it come from? It comes from the surpassing peace that Christ gives you, right? Peace. When you think about your disposition in life, when you think about your attitude, your temp temperament, your reactions, your perspective, are you being led by the Spirit? Is your disposition love, joy, and peace? Those are the guardrails that we need in all aspects of life. When we're dealing with tough situations, when we're dealing with tough people, right? When, we're, when we have our own personal struggles, let love, joy, and peace be the disposition. Why? Because it comes from the Spirit, and it's what gives way to the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. That leads us to the second part. Spiritual fruit leads my relationships. Now, before we unpack the next three, how many of you all wish the Spirit would lead your relationships. I mean, I know I need it. And, and I don't have to go very far, right? Um, we're not even talking about many of you. We're ta I'm talking about those in my own family, right? I need the Spirit of God to lead my relationships. Now, how would those relationships be different? Not necessarily the circumstances of the relationships, but your disposition in those relationships if you were being led by the Spirit and not the flesh. So what does it mean, uh, what does it look like uh, to have the Spirit of God leading your relationships based on the fruit of Christ in you? He says patience, kindness, goodness. When we think about patience, there's two uh, main Greek words for patience. One deals with uh, patience with circumstances, right? You're, you're at the grocery store and you got a lot to do and you're trying to hurry up and the person in front of you whoops out a checkbook. Some of you are like, what is that, right? They have no pen. The pen doesn't work. They don't know how to write it out. All that stuff, right? So patience with circumstances. But that's not what Paul's addressing here. He's not addressing patience with circumstances. He's addressing patience with people, right? That's a whole other level, right? Difficult, difficult people. And so Paul talks about this patience. Uh, it's the, the ability to suffer long, right? The ability to suffer long when dealing with difficult people. 
It's the ability to endure even when you're provoked, you're frustrated, those buttons are being pushed time and time again. And oftentimes, the people that you love the most know how to push those buttons, right? Right? Because you do the same thing, unfortunately. Uh, The patience that the Holy Spirit gives us goes way beyond just gritting your teeth and being quiet, though it may include that. It goes much further than that. Remember, it's connected back to love, joy, and peace. And since there is no greater love, no greater joy, and no greater peace than that which comes from Christ in me, I am free to express that love, joy, and peace through patience towards others. Consider why we get impatient with others. Really, it has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with us, right? Somebody's not responding the way I want them to. Somebody is talking in a way that I don't appreciate the way they're talking. Usually things are surrendered on us. We get impatient because we lose sight of who truly loves us. We lose sight of who truly gives us peace. We lose sight of who truly gives us joy. We lose sight of the one who has shown tremendous patience towards us. Listen, when people drive you crazy, and guess what? They will. Only the Spirit can give you the patience that is needed. The spiritual fruit of patience reminds me that God is not only still working in me, but praise God, there's, he's still working in them too, right? So there's a patience there. And then there's a kindness. It's the attitude that comes from the Spirit that produces empathy, sympathy, and compassion. Empathy means I feel what you feel, right? Sympathy means that I understand why you feel what you feel. And compassion means I want to meet you where you're at. I want to I help relieve whatever it is that you're going through in life. So kindness is the posture of the heart towards those around me. Consider the the power and the priority of the kindness of the Lord, right? Romans 12, 4 tells us it's the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance. So we need the kindness of the Lord. One who understands, the one who feels what we have felt, right? He's gone through everything that we've gone through. And yet he has the compassion to meet us where we're at. And that's that's the same kindness that God has given to us in his spirit. When you taste the kindness of the Lord through his spirit, man, kindness will be the fruit of your life. And we talk about goodness. Where kindness is the attitude, goodness is the action. Uh, Goodness has to do with doing the right thing for the right reasons, right? Listen, we can do the right things for the wrong reasons, and guess what? It's really not that good, right? But doing the right thing for the right reasons is an aspect of the fruit of the spirit. So it's more than just doing what you're doing. It's, is my heart right in why I'm doing it? What is my motivation in doing what I'm doing? And the heart of goodness is what? Is generosity, right? Generosity with my talents, generosity with my time, generosity with my treasure, whatever those look like. That I, I want to show the goodness of the Lord to those around me because God has been so good to me. We sung about that today too. The, fam- the faithfulness of the Lord. Goodness seeks the best. And guess what? It has to endure the worst, Right? It has to endure the worst. In your relationships with others, is the Spirit leading you in patience, kindness, and goodness towards others? So we've looked at uh, the disposition that the fruit of the Spirit gives us when, he's, when, we're leading, when He is leading. We looked at how it impacts our relationships. Thirdly, uh, spiritual fruit leads my behaviors, my behaviors. So these last three characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit talks about faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Faithfulness has to do with loyalty, has to do with uh, commitment, uh, first and foremost, it's, it's, it's about your faithfulness and commitment to the Lord, right? Listen, when there's unfaithfulness to the Lord, guess what the byproduct of that? It's going to be unfaithfulness to the people around you, right? And so when we think about uh, faithfulness, it's, it's really about trusting God. Like, I'm trusting Him. I'm trusting His ways, right? Listen, especially in relationships, 
There are times in relationships where, where everything in you wants to go against what God's word says, right? Like you want to right that wrong, right? You want to go outside the, the boundaries that God has given to us and, and the blessings of certain relationships that he gives us in this life. And so you want, to, you want to do your own thing. Listen, faithfulness stays loyal and committed to his ways, trusting that he knows what is best. How important is faithfulness? Think about this for just a moment. God did not call you to success, right? Now let that sink in for just a moment. He called you to faithfulness, right? There are many, many people that I know who according to the word standards aren't successful. But guess what? They're faithful. They're faithful. So if you're driving force in your life, the way that you communicate what's most valuable in your life and your, the lives around you is a success, listen, we have sold the gospel short. It's not about success. It's about faithfulness to the Lord because when you are faithful to the Lord, you will experience the very blessing that God has for you. 2 Timothy 4, 7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And how did that person do it? I have kept the faith, right? The scripture goes on to say those beautiful words that I hope you long for, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. So faithfulness, commitment, even when it's hard to commit, even when we don't understand. Gentleness. Gentleness is about humility, not self-absorption. Uh, Jesus himself in Matthew 11 verse 29 says, I, I am gentle. Right? That's what scripture says. It doesn't mean that he's weak. Uh, it means that he has tremendous strength, but it's, it's under control. Uh, so he's not demanding his own way. He's not selfishly asserting himself. He's not harsh. So, so, so think about your life for just a moment. Think about the opportunities that you have to be demanding, the opportunities that you have to be harsh, uh, the opportunities that you, have to, that you have to assert your own uh, power and authority because of leadership that you have or influence that you have, gentleness reminds us the posture of humility, right? The greatest leaders that I know are humble. The greatest followers of Christ that I know are humble. Listen, humility comes from the Lord. That with humility comes tremendous gentleness. Then he talks about self-control. In other words, we're not driven by our impulses, right? That's, that's the indulgence of the flesh. When we are led by the Spirit, we have the ability to restrain those impulses. Those impulses will be there, right? Again, that, the remnant of sin is still there, right? But self-control, the, the characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit that gives us self-control, allows us to uh, restrain those impulses. Now, I think about Joseph in the Old Testament, Genesis 43, right? Remember, uh, it was Joseph that was sold into slavery by his brothers, right? And then, like, years went by. And now, all of a sudden, Joseph is, like, second in command, right? And, and Joseph's family has a need. There's famine in the land. And so Joseph's family uh, goes to uh, the place to get relief. And they had no idea that Joseph was going to be there. Guess what? Joseph had no idea his family was going to be there. And all of a sudden, he sees his brothers walk in. The very ones who sold him into slavery. The ones who abandoned him. The ones who lied to their father and said, oh, he was attacked and killed. Here's his cloak. He sees him in the back of the crowd. And I mean, this is my chance. This is my chance to tell you to make all those things 
that were wrong to me, to make them right in my eyes, to say what I want to say, do what I want to do, all those impulses that we struggle with, Joseph chose self-control. Right? Though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Self-control. So what's our application this morning? First application point is this. The evidence of spiritual fruit is dependent on abiding in Christ. That's the first thing. You see, we see a list like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And oftentimes, our immediate reaction is, I got to do better. Right? I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more kind to those around me. I got to do better. Right? Listen, that's the default disposition of the heart. That we, we can do it. That we have to work towards this. Listen. It's called fruit for a reason, right? It's what God produces in you. And so your first instinct, though it may be try harder, do more, read more, the first reaction for the Christian needs to be what? The first step is faith that I am trusting that God has given me everything I need to express the very fruit of Christ in me through me, right? And how do we do that? We do that through abiding. It's about fellowship with the Lord and one of the great passages in the Bible where it talks about uh, fellowship that we have with Christ because of that relationship is found in uh, John chapter 15. Remember, John, uh, the Gospel of John, specifically from uh, chapter 13 on, it's really that final discourse of Jesus when he's getting ready to go to the cross and he's spending time with his disciples and he talks about abiding. He says in John 15, and we're not going to be able to unpack it all, but I just want you to hear uh, the wisdom that, that the Lord has for us. He says, I am the true vine, so talking about Jesus, and the Father is the vine dresser, meaning he's the keeper of the harvest, right? He's, and when you go back to the, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is, uh, some people will translate the harvest of the Spirit is. So there's a harvest there, right? Uh, and so uh, the Father is the vine dresser, every branch in me, so talking about followers of Christ, uh, that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, because the word I have spoken to you, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, and apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Here's the beauty of all that. The command isn't bearing fruit. The command is abiding in him. Abide in him, trust in him, rest in him, cling to him. Rely on him to be your nourishment that you need, the, the growth that you need. He goes on to say in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide where? In my love. Again, Jesus desires fellowship with you today, right? He says in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So it's, it's not that we obey to prove our love for Christ, right? We obey because we know we're loved by him, right? There's a, there's a different reason why we obey. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Listen, as the Spirit leads us, right? As we are being led by the Spirit, submitting to him, the, the fruit of Christ in us is being displayed in our lives. And it's there and only there that we see our joy overflowing. Why? Because God is doing what we cannot do on our own, right? 
What makes me loving? What makes me patient? What makes me kind and gentle? It's not because of me. It's because I'm submitting to him who is powerfully working in me. So as, a, as just a follow-up question, are you experiencing overflowing joy because of the faithfulness of God in your life, through your life, and the evidence of that fruit? Second application, the evidence of spiritual fruit is gradual. Gradual. And this is one of the great tensions in life, right? As followers of Christ. We want the full, completed, and mature harvest now, right? We want it right now. Not just for ourselves, but we want it for those around us as well. And so what happens when we don't see it the way that we want to see it? We get impatient, right? And our natural default is, I'm going to take control. I'm going to flex my muscles. I'm going to make it happen, right? We try to fix it. But remember what Jesus said in John 15. He said in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may do what? It may bear more more fruit. Then he says in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears what? Bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then in verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So here we see even Jesus communicating Bear fruit, bear much fruit, bear more fruit, right? So it's this gradual process. Now the key is, how does this happen? Well, there's two phrases that are important. One, takes away. Uh, sometimes people read this passage and, and they'll see the phrase takes away and, it's, and the, the image that we have is that God abandons us, right? No, again, who is he talking to? He's talking to followers of Christ, right? Judas has already left, right? The false disciple. So he's spending time with those disciples uh, that, that are going to be the ones who are instrument of God's grace into the world, right? When Jesus dies and resurrects from, the, uh, resurrects from the grave and ascends into heaven, right? And so this idea of takes away isn't, isn't that he's discarding us, he's turning his back on us. No, this, this phrase is really about God's amazing grace. It means that he lifts us off the ground, right? He puts us back to a place of growth. That's, the, that's what the Greek phrase means. So when you think about just a vegetation, if you will, so when things get covered over, right, they have a hard time growing, don't they? And so what do you have to do? You have to, you have to clean it out, right? You have to put it back into a place where it's going to grow again, where it'll be nourished again. And that's exactly what God's Word is teaching us, that that's what He is going to do. He's going to put us back into places where we will grow again. And then He prunes us. That means He's continuously at work removing the unnecessary things in our lives, that prohibit us or hinder us from bearing the fruit of Christ. So he's cleansing us, he's removing things, he's pruning those things, he's removing everything that doesn't look like Jesus, even dead religious activity, right? And all the things that aren't necessary. He lifts us up, he prunes us, he uses every situation, every circumstance, every relationship to remove those things that don't look like him. This is why abiding in Christ is so important. That fellowship is so important because it's in that fellowship that we see, we recognize those places in our life that aren't honoring the Lord. We see those places in our life that are hindering the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And that's why I I think about Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says this in verses 1 through 3. It said, blessed, the word blessed is awesome. It talks about, oh, happy uh, is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So if we're going to take fellowship with the Lord seriously then we're going to have to take our sin seriously, right? What's influence in your life? Where are you spending your time? Are you pursuing the things of the world or are you pursuing Christ himself? What happens when we pursue Christ himself? Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. And what is it? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that does what? Yields its fruit in its season 
and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. Listen. Think about the beauty of the harvest. Think about the gradual work that the gospel does in our life. Yes, everything in us wants to be mature and complete, but guess what? That is not a reality that you and I experience in this life, right? But we do know that we're not always the people we want to be. But praise be to God, we're certainly not the people we used to be, right? And we trust that God will complete what he started, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in me, you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, spiritual fruit brings freedom. Everything is going to this idea of freedom. And Paul says this at the end of verse 23, against such things, against those such things is referring to the fruit of the Spirit, uh, there is no law. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Why is there no law to the fruit of the Spirit? A couple things. One is, free to indulge in the, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Don't put limitations on it, right? Don't just say, oh, I love 10, ten people today. I'm, I'm good for the rest of the day, right? <laughs> that's not what the Scripture is saying. The second reason why the Scripture is saying there is no law is because the law can't do this, right? The law can't create in you the fruit of the Spirit, only the grace that is found in the gospel. And because that is true, we need to remember our call to freedom. Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So everything is going back right where we started. The spiritual fruit of love. Love for God love for others, all of it anchored into the gospel, all of it empowered by his spirit. Our role is to what? Humbly submit and follow him. Galatians 5.18, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Why? Because through the Holy Spirit, you are set free. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Are you living free today? Are you experiencing the joy and the peace and the love that comes from the fruit of the Spirit? Do you see the evidence in your relationships, how you're handling circumstances uh, through patience and kindness and gentleness, self-control? Listen, the call that God has on our life is a beautiful call. But we can't walk in that calling unless we're surrendered to Him each and every day. So ask yourself th these questions this morning. Is the spirit in me really the disposition of my life? Is that true of me today? Is it the spirit in me that's leading my relationships? Is it the spirit in me that's leading my behaviors? Am I abiding in Christ today? What is it that's hindering in that abiding? Surrender it to the Lord. Are you content that it's gradual? Right? We can be so hard on people, right? Listen, let God do the work of grace in your life first and foremost, and then you'll begin to see the work of grace in the lives of those around you. And enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ. Again, don't think you've got to leave here today and say you've got to be better and do better. Listen, you can't. Surrender that can't to him, and guess what? He will do, right? Be honest with the Lord. Maybe there's a situation that you're walking through right now. Maybe it's a, a relationship that you have and, and the disposition of that situation or that relationship isn't love, joy, or peace. Listen, don't let those things rob you of the beauty of God's grace in your life. 
And it's through that anchor that you'll begin to see the other aspects of that fruit, where there is gentleness, where there is kindness, where there is self-control, where there is goodness. And I mean, the very fact that God gives us the capability to be generous and good to those who have wronged us and hurt us. And only God can do that, right? Only God can do that. So whatever your decision is today, wherever the Lord is speaking,